Welcome, everybody, to the G3X Conversation with Ken Wilcox on his new book, Leading Through Culture, and his experiences leading a key Silicon Valley bank, financing innovations in technology, as well as the opening of a joint venture bank with China. His experience marrying finance with innovation has many implications for our sector. His experience working through cultures is also very much part of our sector. And we're thrilled to have him speak at G3X. Mr. Wilcox currently serves as Emeritus Chairman of Silicon Valley Bank and was Vice President of uh, SPD Silicon Valley Bank. He was previously the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank Financial Group, SBV Financial Group. Um, Mr. Wilcox is chairman of the board of the Asia Society of Northern California, treasurer of the Asian Art Museum, and a member of the advisory board for the 21st Century China Center Advisory Board. So he has some nonprofit experience as a board member as well. Uh, earlier in his career, Mr. Wilcox was a member of the board of directors of the Federal Reserve Bank in San Francisco from 2006 to 2012. Mr. Wilcox earned his master's degree in business administration from Harvard Business School. I don't know if any of you ever heard of this little tiny school somewhere in Massachusetts, as well as a PhD in German studies from Ohio State University. So with that, welcome Ken Wilcox, and I'm sure you all have applause emojis you can break out for him. Welcome to 501c3BS busting the myths of the social sector, and deprogramming you for organizational growth. Brought to you by the Gianneschi Center for Nonprofit Research at California State University Fullerton College of Business and Economics, celebrating our 25th anniversary year in 2021. I'm Zoot Velasco, director of the Gianneschi, and your host for this podcast journey. You had a list of five things that you hire for, and it's a great list, but I noticed that grit wasn't one of them. And for me personally, I find that grit is one of the key factors that I hire for, you know, that. And so what I'm wondering is, is grit maybe on the list, but under a different name? Um, I'd, I'd, I'd love for your, your take on that. Yeah, well, I think you, you caught me here. Uh, <laughs> I think that it's not on the list uh, under a different name. Uh, it's, but it, it's, um, it's, it's on the list in the back of my mind. And I was uh, being, I was assuming, I guess, when I, um, when I wrote that. Um, but you're right, um, grit is part of it. Part of it is that at um, Silicon Valley Bank, we have this set of, um, of what we call values and grit is one of them. And so I think I was operating under the assumption, which was wrong, obviously, that um, everybody had that same set in their head. Um, let, and I let was me tell let, a different target. Let me tell everyone what these five things are. So as I'm sure they're wondering, number yeah. one is hire for talent, intelligence, and experience. Number two is hire people who compliment you, not compliment you. Um, as we discussed earlier. Number three is higher for emotional IQ. Uh, I think that's really interesting. I like that. Uh, number four, higher for values, that their values, I, I'm assuming that their values meet and match your values and the company's right. values. That's exactly right, yeah. And, and then number five, higher for core capabilities, not just previous title. And, and um, I don't have a, a fault with any of those. I think those are all great. But I was just wondering, because I could see grit as being parts of some of those. But for me, that's kind of the, the number one thing I hire for, because 
um, there's a lot of evidence that shows people who fail and get back up and keep going and persevere yeah. are, are, is the number one measure of success. And I find that to be true in my life. And I find that to be true of the people I hire. So I was just wondering your take on it. Yeah, well, what it says is I should have had you read it before I published it. <laughs> Next time, I'm gonna, and if I do a rewrite, I'll... I'll you're going to add that? There'll be six things to hire I'll for. I'll footnote you for something. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. All right. Um, well, good. I'm glad, I'm glad we could come to a consensus on that. Um, can you give an example of something you mentioned in the book is setting the tone, which is what culture is all about, and setting the tone to create the culture you want. Can you give an example of how you set the tone to create the culture you want? Yeah, I think that setting the tone, a large part of setting the tone, there are different ways to go about setting the tone, but a large part of setting the tone is the way you behave. And in particular, the way you behave um, in public, if you will. In other words, your visible behavior. Because the truth is, people follow leaders. Uh, subconsciously, I think. Um, not always even consciously. One of the examples I gave in my book and that anybody who has kids should be able to identify with is that when they're small anyway, when they turn teenagers, the dynamic shifts a little bit, but when they're small, they, uh, kids seem to do their absolute best to copy their parents. They become mini versions of their parents. And if their parents behave a certain way, they inevitably will behave the same way. And uh, if, um, so it, it's true at work too, that, um, or in groups, not just work groups, but in groups that people subconsciously follow the leader. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that you make that analogy to small kids, because when I teach leadership, I make the analogy to teenagers. I say, if you have a teenager, you know that they never do what you tell them to do, <laughs> Exactly. But, but they always do what you model, <laughs> you know? So it, I think that's right. Yeah. They, whatever yeah. you're modeling, they'll pick up subconsciously. If you're not drinking a lot, you, you know, they may never be a big drinker. And, you know, if you're doing drugs at home, uh, even prescription drugs, they may get the message that drugs are okay to take at home, you know? So they, they model you whether you know it or not, but they may not listen to what you're saying. So I thought it was interesting that you, you turned that metaphor around to younger kids. Uh, that, that's, that's funny. Well, you know, you're right. And uh, the other thing I, I would give you a small example from, uh, you know, grown up life. And that is that I remember getting on a board once and saying to myself, I've got this horrible habit uh, that annoys um, certainly my family and probably most other people. And that is that I'm, you know, I, I look at my phone too often and I'm, you know, checking my email and uh, it's really, it's rude. Uh, so I'm going to try to make a better impression on this board and be a better citizen. I'll start my new life today. So I'm, I've forced myself not to look at my uh, email for two hours. And it was hard. I practically had to sit on my hands, um, but I pulled it off. And then the second time that board met, I was determined to uh, maintain the same uh, level of good behavior, but I noticed that the chairman of the board looked at her email during the uh, board meeting and almost instantaneously I gave myself permission to do the same thing without even thinking about it, it was like well if she can do it of course I can do it she's the leader so I started looking at my email and within 
20 minutes, I was back at my old habit. Mm, interesting. But the funny part about it was a couple of years later, I found out that she wasn't actually looking at her email. She was playing computer games. It's even worse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that'll get you in trouble because an ad will come up and, and it won't be muted. They, the ads don't mute. And then everybody knows you're, you're playing <laughs> yeah. a computer game. Yeah. All but right, it, good. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. Add one more, um, sure. one more thing to that. It, it pertains in particular to more relevant things like behavior. In other words, if, if, if you as the leader demean others, everybody in the corporation or in the group or company or whatever it is will feel permission to demean others if they feel like it. And that's what's really important. I mean, people consciously and subconsciously look to the leader to see how to treat other people. And if you want to have a, uh, a group, an organization where people demean others, just go ahead and do it yourself. It'll happen almost immediately. Mm, and yes, mm. you, you know, one of the things I love about your book is that you have a great turn of phrase here and there that I'm going to start calling Wilcoxisms, you know, and one of your Wilcoxisms is this term uh, dog sleds versus orchestras. Can you explain that? Oh, yeah. That's that's one of my favorite stories, because it's something that I never would have anticipated. It was a learning experience for me. And that is a few years ago, my wife and I were um, traveling in Europe and we met a guy who was about, I think, 26 years old at the time, who was in the special forces in the Danish army. And we got to know him a little bit. And he started telling us about his activities. And it turns out he's in a very special unit, which basically spends all of its time on dog sleds in Greenland. And it's a question of traversing Greenland 24 hours a day in order to continue uh, emphasizing, underscoring Denmark's claim on Greenland. <laughs> because there are numerous people that would like to sneak in and uh, take over Greenland if they could. Uh, so, but what he told me was that, you know, it's really, really cold. And uh, they travel a huge distance every day. And when you look at these dog sleds, which everybody's seen pictures of dog sleds, they look kind of beautiful, actually. You see the team, I, I think there's maybe seven, I don't know, uh, three pairs of two and then one in the front. And they, they just look like they're having the greatest time together, like they're a perfect team. But he says it, it's very deceptive. He says at night, you have to tether the dogs and it's most important to tether them something like 30 feet apart because otherwise they'll kill each other because those dogs they may look like they're um, uh, really high on teamwork but the truth is every one of them wants to be the lead dog and they, they in their dream of dreams they're killing the dog in front of them and moving <laughs> one step forward and <laughs> I thought to myself my god that's just like the corporations that I'm familiar with <laughs> so I, I said, we need a metaphor to strive for that's totally different because in my experience, in normal corporations, people spend about half their time working and about half the time trying to figure out how to kill the dog in front of them. So my, my, the metaphor that I thought was really good and that we spent a lot of time emphasizing at Silicon Valley Bank was the orchestra metaphor. So that's, you know, an orchestra is a huge number of people. I don't know exactly how many, but let's say roughly 100 who have come together for a period of time during which they subjugate their ego needs to the needs of the group. And the need of the group is producing beautiful music. And so they're 
they forced themselves to all play in unison from the same sheet together harmoniously. And the result is that they produce beautiful music that people admire and love. And that's what corporations should try more harder to do. Uh, so there are so many corporations that I've encountered that are pitted against themselves. In other words, there are groups within the corporation that are all fighting for supremacy. And you know, if the customer gets killed in the process, they don't care. They just want to win. So that's that metaphor. Yeah. What, what you don't know is that you have to keep orchestra musicians 30 feet away from each other after the... <laughs> <laughs> because they will kill the person in front of them. <laughs> that could be, that could be, they do a good job of a different appearance. <laughs> okay. Um, another uh, Wilcoxism from your book is the magic 12. Um, can you, well, first of all, explain what the magic 12 is. Yeah, okay. So here's the issue here, and that is that um, one of the biggest problems in groups is um, trust, lack of trust. Uh, you, t you name any group, whether it's a Cub Scout uh, den or <laughs> whether it's, you know, the cabinet. People not trusting each other is a huge, huge problem. So the, there's um, the guy who wrote... Um, Here's where my mind, my memory's failing me. The guy who wrote the seven principles of highly successful people right. was Stephen who, Covey. Is who you're thinking? Covey, of. Yes, but his son, who's because uh, that guy's um, even older than I am. His son, who's a full-fledged adult, a few about 10, 15 years ago, came through with a book of his own, which was called The Speed of Trust. And his idea was that a group can accomplish a lot more, a lot faster if everybody trusts each other. And I think one of his examples was a basketball team. If, if the five uh, people on the team absolutely trust each other, they can play better basketball and they can, they can score a lot more. So he said, um, so he had a list in his book of things you can do to um, increase trust. And I uh, got copies of that for everybody and we studied it. And then we said to ourselves, you know, this is really good. The only problem is his list doesn't fit us exactly. So we developed our own list, which um, is not contradict contradicting his list, but it's just our own, uh, the ones that we thought were relevant. And I called it, we ended up with 12 of them and I called it the magic 12. And I don't remember all 12 of them, although they're in the book, but I do remember some of the really important ones. And I'll, I'll mention just three of them, if, you, if that's okay. Sure. One of them would be, I trust people who act like they trust me in the same way that I respect people who act like they respect me. If I sense that somebody doesn't trust me, it results in my subconsciously not wanting to trust them. So one of the first things is show respect for other people. You know, I have it here. I can tell you what the 12 are really quickly. So uh, number one is express yourself clearly and often say what you think. Number two is be consistent. Number three, solicit opinions. That goes back to your idea of the four Ds and debate. Uh, number four is demonstrate respect. And that's one thing I talk about in leadership a lot is that most people don't work for a salary. Most people, if you did a poll, salary comes in number seven on most polls. Number exactly. one is respect. And number two is mission, right? They yes. feel they're doing something important. Um, number five, assume innocence. What do you mean by that? Assume innocence. 
that means that if somebody does something that strikes you as um as uh first of all they shouldn't have done it and secondly it, it potentially hurts you you rather than saying the typical thing which all of us do i do too is to is to assume that they were mean-spirited mm, you know, yeah whenever somebody does something that i don't like i tend to think they're either dumb or mean-spirited but if you assume that they're actually intelligent and that they are pure of heart <laughs> at least 50 percent of the time you're right i love that that's great Number six is skip the agenda. That's a great one. How many meetings would we save if we did that? Um, uh, you know, sometimes agendas are great because they can they can save you from a lot of time in a meeting from tangents. And I always tell boards about, you know, most boards think they follow Robert's Rules of Orders, but they have no idea what Robert's Rules of Order really are because they've never read them. Never read. And they're always going off on these tangents that take an extra hour out of the meeting. But often I think it's it's great to avoid an agenda and do the debate and the things that you were talking about. Um, number seven, demonstrate relevant vulnerability. Relevant vulnerability. That means that to the extent that it, 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 it relates to the situation, admit that you don't know everything. Or right. You're not. No, you know. Number eight, let others decide. And you mentioned that earlier. We talked about that earlier. Number nine, show support. That's a great thing to show respect too, is to support the people and encourage them. You do, we do, it's funny because we do this with our children, but we don't always do it with our employees, you know, um, right. or even our peers. Um, you know, one of the questions that was asked in the chat is if you're a low level employee, how do you demonstrate leadership? And I think a big part of that is leading from behind is just demonstrating support and respect for your colleagues. And, and you could follow the same 12 principles here that you outline at any level in the company. Um, uh, show support, number 10, hire adults. <laughs> I love that. Uh, you want to expound on that a little bit? Sure. Uh, yeah, let me say two things. One is expound, expound, expand on that a little bit. And then I want to mention also what I think is the most important in the 12. Okay. The uh, hiring adults... I, I, I believe that um, there is such a thing as the, what I call spectrum of human behavior and that everybody on earth fits on it somewhere. And in the center of this spectrum, I would put the adults, the people who know how to act like an adult and how to treat other people like adults. And then at one end of the spectrum, I would put what I call the obnoxiously assertive people. These are the people that get through life bullying and, uh, then the other end of the spectrum, I would put the, uh, what I call passive aggressive people. And these are the people that get through life sucking up. Uh, and so when I became CEO of Silicon Valley Bank, one of the things I said to myself was, you know, we got a couple thousand people, but there's at least 200 of them. I made up the number that um, are at the ends of the spectrum and I need to get them to the middle. So I spent literally working with managers two years identifying who the obnoxiously assertive people were and who the passive aggressive people were and coaching them to the center. And if they refuse to go to the center to become adults, we ask them to go work someplace else. And that makes sense. Number 11 is control your inner demons. And I think you mentioned this 
a little bit earlier, um, you know, uh, in terms of modeling behavior, in terms of letting debate happen and not expressing your opinion too early because then everybody's going to acquiesce to that. Number 12 is observe the ninth, the ninth guiding principle. And then you go into the ninth guiding principle. Tell them what the ninth guiding principle is. The ninth guiding principle, we called it the ninth because we had eight others and nobody remembered what they were. And then one day somebody said, you know, actually, <laughs> the most important one's not even on the list. <laughs> so we gave up with the ninth. <laughs> Literally, everybody remembers that one. And that's if you have an issue with another person. So let's say I'm mad at Zoot. The important thing is that I talk to Zoot directly. Whereas the normal human response is go find a, 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 um, a third party and trash Zoot behind his back. That's what people do every day, everybody, including myself. It's normal, but it's destructive. It's horrible for organizations. I love that you had eight guiding principles and then you could nobody could remember it. And the ninth guiding principle is really the only guiding principle. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right. So tell me of these 12, what is the most important? You wanted to expound on that. Yeah, the one thing that I think is most important, and it may not even be in the list right now, I'm not sure, is um, uh, having what I call a uh, discussion with another person where you are not trying to convince them of something. In other words, let's say Zoot and I have, have uh, been disagreeing about something for a long, long time, and we're just not getting anywhere. And the, the, the longer it goes, the more I hate Zoot, the more he hates me. And the more we tend to you know, trash each other behind each other's backs. What is really the best thing that you can do is go to Zoot and say, Zoot, I really wanna understand how you're looking at this because it's hard for me to understand it. And I want you to please explain to me how you're looking at it, but I'm I, I'm going to I'm promising you I will not state any opinions during this discussion. I may come back next week and and tell you my opinion all over again. But during this discussion today for a half an hour, I am not going to voice any opinions of my own. I'm only going to ask you about yours and. A lot of people are afraid to do that because they think, oh, my God, you know, I'm going to lose. But you're not losing anything. You're gaining a huge amount. And it's not like you're going to lose your opinion. You could, I, I, I say to people, take your opinion out of your head, pick it up, put it on a shelf and leave it. You can come back to it later. Nobody's going to take it away while you're gone. But for the period of this half an hour, just listen and ask questions that are designed not to show how, how he's wrong, but to de design to help you better understand what he's saying. And man, if, if, you're, um, if any of you have significant others, I'm sure that if you have a significant other, you must have disagreements periodically. Try that. It's amazing. The other person feels so respected. Well, to that point, you have a you you have this under number six. Skip the agenda, and I I misunderstood when, what you meant by agenda when I was talking about it earlier. You mean don't come in with your own agenda when you're really trying to get information. And the the example you give here is a husband and wife, where the husband says, "Honey, there's three movies A, B, and C. Which would you rather see?" And the wife says, "I think B." And the husband says, "Well, B isn't as good as C. Let's see C." So why did he even bother asking her in the first place? Because he obviously already had 
a movie and that that rang true to me i think i've had that argument with my wife <laughs> um the other way around but yes <laughs> <laughs> okay good so we've covered the magic 12 you served on many nonprofit boards what do you think would make a good nonprofit board leader yeah so uh, I don't know if I have an answer that, that I think a lot about and I actually talk a lot about. I'm not sure if it actually addresses whatever question is in your mind. Uh, but one I have of the, no agenda. <laughs> oh, good. good. Well, that makes it easier. I've been on a number of not-for-profit boards. And one of the things that I find is problematic with them is often as not, the people that get on these boards are people that um, uh, no longer are working they're retired and they're looking for meaning in their lives. And often as not, they had authority while they were uh, working. And it, it, they're, they're, um, the, their biggest problem in life is that they're having a hard time adjusting to being what I call a previously important person. Uh, they wanna be important again. And so they, they seek to uh, become important by trying to run the company or the not-for-profit. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, the not-for-profit has a management team, and the management team is supposed to run the not-for-profit, not the board. The Correct. board is there to make sure there's no malfeasance. That's an obligation on the part of the board. The board is also there to offer their best advice, but understanding nobody has to take it. And uh, the third thing they're there for is to uh, hire and fire the CEO. Uh, which presumably, have, you know, they hire and then they don't fire um, unless there's something really wrong. So I think the, that um, the boards everywhere, whether they're for-profit or not-for-profit, have the same set of responsibilities. And when I was CEO of Silicon Valley Bank, I had the best chairman imaginable, a guy named Pete Hart. He was just wonderful. And his view was, Ken, you've got to listen to my advice, but you have no obligation to take it you have an obligation to listen, but you don't have to take it. And uh, you can do the opposite of what I say. And if it works out for the corporation over the long haul, so be it. Uh, You're a better person than I am. But if it doesn't work out, I have an obligation eventually to replace you. And I thought that's the best attitude because it gave me the freedom to do things. Um, And at the same time, it gave him the protection of not having to put up with me forever if I wasn't very good. I love that. That's great. That, you know, um, we had a conversation like this with Jan Masaoka, who's one of the great um, sages of our industry. And she said, she wrote a book on boards and she said, um, you know, the thing that board members have to remember is that they're just a volunteer at the organization. It's only when they come together as a board that they have any power. And a lot of them forget that. But as individuals, they're under the direction of the CEO, like every other individual, um, every other volunteer at the organization. It's only when they come together as a group and vote on things that they have any power. Yeah. Yeah. And the truth is, um, it's to, to try to run the company is a good way to discourage a good CEO. So you're going to find if you, if you as a board try to run the company, the good CEOs will go away because no good CEO wants the board running it. Right. I, I have one last question for you, which is, do you have anything you want to add that we haven't talked about? 
I, the only thing I'd add is that for those who aspire to positions of leadership, now is the time. There has never been a time when the world needs leadership to a greater extent than it does today. And I say that for two reasons. Number one is that the world is, um, is smaller and the decisions that our leaders make have much bigger impact than was true um, uh, for most of world history. Uh, and secondly, I, I, I hate to sound disrespectful, but I actually don't think that there are that many great leaders in the world today. I had a, um, a Lyft driver tell me recently that the only leader in the entire world that he respects is Putin. And uh, I, I get that, but um, I don't want him in charge. Uh, so uh, my point is there, there is such a great need for good leadership. And when I say good leadership, I'm talking about leadership that is respectful of the dignity of in others. And it uh, is cares about the people as opposed to themselves. And we don't see that that often right now, I don't think. You so, know, I think, I think the only thing I'll disagree with you on in this whole 90 minutes is, is that point. Because I think if you're talking about politics, I think you're right. But yeah. if you're talking about leadership in the world, I think there's some amazing leaders coming up. I mean, look at um, Greta, what's her name? The 16-year-old the, the activist on climate change. Right, right, right. Uh, look yeah. at Malaya. I think her name is Malaya, the, the, the Pakistani girl who, um, right. you know, was shot because she was trying to go to school. You have these amazing young leaders that are coming up there doing amazing things at very young ages. You're right. I'm focused too much on politics right now, but it's no <laughs> than what we've uh, lived through in the last uh, six months. So I am focused on politics, but you're right. That notwithstanding, there still is amazingly uh, large opportunity for leaders today. Absolutely. You're right. I shouldn't be so narrow. Well, no, it's not, it's not a, a matter of being narrow. I just want you to be more positive, Ken, because I teach students. I have 200 students in my classes, and I see amazing leadership from this generation that's coming out of school now. And I think um, you should be really optimistic about the future because there's really great people coming up. Good. It's good to hear you say that. Well, thank you so much for being my guest today, Ken. And I want to let you know that, uh, you know, it's COVID time and we aren't able to meet in person, but I hope at some point our, our paths will cross again and we can sit down and have a meal together or something. I really have enjoyed your book and enjoyed your mentorship through the book and through this podcast slash Zoom call today. So thank well, you very much. And uh, is there anything else you'd like to say? No, that's it. But thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. Thanks. It's been a stimulating conversation. I can see by the comments that everybody's really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for being my guest today, Ken. I really appreciate it. And thank you. And best wishes to everybody. Ken Wilcox's book, Leading Through Culture, How Real Leaders Create Cultures That Motivate People to Achieve Great Things, is available at Amazon. Thank you to the Gene Eshi Center for Nonprofit Research, California State University Fullerton, and the College of Business and Economics for supporting our podcast. Our supporters include the Orange County Community Foundation, Southern California Gas Company, and you, our listeners. Thanks for the music provided to us by the California-based Brazilian Coro Ensemble, Grupo Falso Baiano. Have a great week, free from BS. Music